Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, they call it the G7. Uh, yeah, we call it a cluster. That's what it was. Hey, hello, everybody. On a Monday, June 11. Here we go out of the weekend. Hope you had a good one. A little rainy here in Washington, D.C., uh, but uh, it's the season. Uh, and the Nats back in town as well. So all in all, a uh, pretty good time here. Hope you had a great weekend. And ready to roll into the uh, another week and another busy week news of the day. Yes, the president coming out of a disastrous uh, G7 meeting in Quebec, which he blew up before he got there, while he was there, and after he left, uh, off to his big meeting. Uh, actually, tomorrow morning, Singapore time, but 9 o'clock tonight, East Coast time, when uh, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un sit down together for the very first time uh, decades and decades since a North Korean leader has met a president of the United States, maybe the first time uh, at any rate. Certainly whatever happens, a historic meeting, and uh, they go into it allegedly with uh, Kim Jong-un having done tons of preparation and Donald Trump, by his own admission, doing no preparation because he doesn't need to prepare because he knows everything. He's smarter than anybody else. And within one minute, he will know whether the summit is a success or not. So he says. You see what I mean? Lots to talk about today. Get ready. Get ready. Your comments, welcome. Your comments, uh, we look forward to uh, on YouTube. YouTube. And, oh, I'm sorry, on Twitter. At BP Show. At BP Show. Send us your comments. We'll get into the news of the day. But first, this is the Peter Full Burn. Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, Friday night, Bill, was game four of the NBA Finals. Would the Cleveland Cavaliers be oh, able to my. win at least one game and avoid total embarrassment? The answer, 
No. No. Calderon yeah. fires away. That's no good. And Bell with the <laughs> rebound. Down to five seconds. Down to four. Bell across half court. The Warriors start to celebrate. The one-time darlings are now a dynasty. The Golden State Warriors have won back-to-back NBA championships, and they have won three of the last four NBA titles. There that you score go. score was so lopsided. 108 too. to 85. I mean, that's, yeah. You know, that doesn't look like two championship teams. No, right? no, not at all. As a matter of fact, it was interesting after the game, uh, LeBron James was talking about how he had essentially played the last three games of the finals with like a broken hand, which yeah. I don't know. I'm not an NBA player, but I yeah, imagine but that's pretty hard to do. I would think so. And he also, I think, played the last three games like by himself. I mean, he played it. I mean, the entire playoffs by himself, practically. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, kudos to LeBron James for putting up some of what of a fight. Because if you look at his numbers, it really was a one-man army for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But it wasn't enough. Uh, the Warriors won. They are, as the announcer just mentioned, it's a dynasty now. Three out of the last four championships. I think that absolutely uh, qualifies them as a dynasty. So they are pretty untouchable. Uh, so, it, by the way, over the weekend, there was a woman driving along, as one does. You have your phone, like, in the cup holder. Yeah. Right? Where so that you don't mess with it, you put it in the cup holder. This woman had her Samsung phone, and it caught fire while she was driving. In fact, it got to be such a big deal. This was in Detroit. She pulled over because there was so much smoke. It got out of the car, and the car caught on fire. The car was destroyed. Oh, my God. It was that big of a deal. Whoa. So the phone sparked up, caught the seat on fire, which then spread to the entire car, gutted the car, completely destroying the car, all because her cell phone caught fire. I want to point out again, this was a Samsung. But this has happened before with iPhones, too. iPhones have caught fire. But this was a Samsung Galaxy S8. Lawsuit. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 She said she she tried to pull over and tried to, like. Who was she talking to that was so hot? Nobody was. She, it wasn't oh. even. It, she wasn't even on the phone. It no. was just an oh, idle really? position. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. God, that's pretty scary. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, diplomacy, Donald Trump style. You arrive late, you leave early, and you piss everybody off. There it is. <laughs> now we know foreign policy under the Trump administration. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday, Monday, June 11, 2018. It is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. And off we go in a big round of news, uh, a lot of it foreign policy news, but uh, there's a lot more. Yes, indeed, the big stories of the day, the G7. A total wrecking crew hit the G7 uh, in the person of uh, Donald Trump, who not only trashed everybody who was there, but then said, I want to invite my buddy Vlad in. If Vlad's not part of it, I don't want to be part of it anymore. The bromance between Putin and Trump continues. And then he jets off to start another bromance, bromance with another mass murderer, another dictator, Kim Jong-un in Singapore, We'll see how that goes. Donald Trump telling us he'll know within one minute whether or not uh, this guy is serious, whether or not the summit will be a success. Uh, Meanwhile, Robert Mueller is still on the case. Uh, More charges against Paul Manafort and a Russian associate. Oh, Russia pops up again. How often everybody's got ties to Russia. Another Russian indicted. 
uh, by Paul, uh, by uh, Robert Mueller, uh, and the Justice Department seizing the notes and rec and email records of a New York Times reporter, continuing an assault on freedom of the press that was actually started under Barack Obama. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you, folks. Today, thank you for joining us. Whether you're watching or listening or following us online, of course, we're coming to you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Don't forget our podcast. Got to sign up for the podcast and enjoy all the extra stuff we put up on the weekends. Uh, go to billpressshow.com or wherever you find your podcast and sign up, sign up, register, be a member of our team. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV and joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana through Indiana Talks and on the great, strong, progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. How about it? We start. Let's, I, I want to lead up uh, to the summit with a, uh, with a quick little note about something that uh, caught my attention. Uh, the United States, we are number one. Yep, number one uh, in one particular way. We are number one with now the world's fastest computer. Believe that? Uh, used to be China that held the world had the world's fastest computer. Uh, no longer. Now uh, the United States. It's a new computer that was um, developed down at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee, uh, and. This machine, this is how fast it is, okay? Uh, according to the Defense Department, Summit can do mathematical calculations at the rate of 200 quadrillion. I never heard of that number. So this is this new computer. We now have the world's fastest computer. It's called Summit. It can do mathematical calculations at the rate of 200 quadrillion per Second, that, to put it in human terms, I, I, I can't even understand that. Well, it says two hundred quadrillion calculations per second, or two hundred petaflops. Petaflops, maybe I don't know. I never heard that. I'm just phrase. getting more confused. Right. Okay. Here it is. This to put it in human terms. Okay. I, that's this is what I need. A person doing one calculation a second. If you could do one mathematical calculation a second. You would have to live for more than 6.3 billion years to match what this machine can do in one second. Good God. That boggles the mind. I, I, I'm, I mean, seriously, you cannot comprehend that. Right? I'm having a really hard time just wrapping my head I couldn't that. do a, I can't do a one mathematical calculation in an hour. Uh, right, right, <laughs> right, right. One mathematical equation per second, unless, I mean, it's got to be single digit addition, and right. I could probably okay, could participate. Do that, but not in a second. No. I don't think. No. But imagine that. A person doing one calculation a second, right, would have to live for more than 6.3 billion years. All right, how about <laughs> how about this? Here's another one. You want to understand this? I just yeah. I saw this and it just blew my mind. I had to had to talk about it. If a stadium were built for for 100,000 people okay. and it was full and everybody in it had a modern laptop, it would take 20 stadiums 
to, to match the computing firepower of Summit. Ouch. So 20 stadiums with 100,000 people in each one, each one with a modern laptop, that would equal the firepower of one of these computers. Jesus. But it's ours. We're number one. <laughs> we're number one. And I wouldn't have mentioned that because, like, we're number one in that. But, man, we are at the bottom of the pile and everything else after Donald Trump wrecked the summit on the G7. Yeah. And, I mean, summing it up, he arrived late. He's got the world's fastest airplane. He still arrived late, left early, pissed everybody off on his way there and on his way out of there. Welcome to foreign, foreign, welcome to diplomacy, Donald Trump style. Welcome to foreign policy uh, under the uh, Trump administration. Yeah, it was uh, on his way uh, to get in a Marine One at the White House uh, on uh, Friday morning when he uh, talked about this was um, out of the blue. Uh, we ought to bring Russia back to the G7 and make it the G8 again, says Donald Trump. They threw Russia out. They should let Russia come back in because we should have Russia at the negotiating table. And when he got to Quebec, uh, he sort of repeated the same thing. Yeah, let's make it the G8 again. I think the G8 uh, would be better. I think having Russia back in would be a positive thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, he said, let's go ahead and bring my buddy Vlad back, huh? I think it would be an asset to have Russia back in. I think it would be good for uh, the world. I think it would be good for Russia. I think it would be good for the United States. I think it would be good for all of the countries of the current G7. Okay, now think about this, right? Maybe Donald Trump doesn't know this, but Russia used to be part of it. It wasn't that long ago. Russia was thrown out in 2014. Why? Russia was thrown out in 2014 because it invaded another country. It invaded Ukraine. It seized part of Ukraine. By the way, they got away with it, which is another whole issue. But they invaded a neighboring country. They seized part of that country. They were thrown out of the G8 for that behavior. And what have they done since then? Okay. Not only have they now just annexed Crimea, it's part of Russia. So, and, and nor, so they certainly haven't pulled out of Crimea. They haven't pulled their troops out of eastern Ukraine. They have um, interfered in the 2016 presidential election. They are hacking away and interfering in this 2018 American elections. We know that doing the same thing. That's what intelligence agencies have told us. Uh, they have troops on the ground in Syria opposing us because they're supporting the president of Syria. They are jailing and murdering political dissidents or journalists in Russia. And they're poisoning diplomats on British soil. So for all of that, let's welcome them back. Yeah. Oh, Vlad, what a great guy you are. Let's welcome them back to the G7. You have I mean, to wonder why. why. Why? Why would Trump do it? And, like, I know that there are a lot of people out there, and I'm not, I'm not discounting any of this, but that, you know, Donald Trump is some puppet of the Russian government, which I don't, I'm not trying to discount. I certainly it, don't think he's some sort of secret agent for it, for the Russians. It makes no it makes no sense. sense. But it, here's the, here's what I finally sort of landed on with trying to figure out what this was all about. It's clear that nobody else in the G7 likes Trump, and they don't like his style, and they're gonna they're going to call him out on his BS. Right. 
They all yeah. had to over yeah. the weekend. Yeah. All of them had to on some but, level. They had to. I, but you know who won't? Russia. Vladimir. Russia. Vladimir Putin won't. Oh, no. And so Donald no. Trump is looking at this purely as I need a friend who is just as crazy as I am right. in the G7 or G8, as he calls it. Putin. Putin's out this morning saying he'd love to meet with Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Trump has an ally. Sure. Macron's not his ally. I mean, he's got two on allies. paper, no, right? No, no. Trump has two allies, yeah. Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. Yeesh. No, think about that. First of all, there's this photo. I'm sure you saw this photo. The photo that came out of the G7, by the way, which uh, Angela Merkel's uh, press aide is the one who pointed out, where they're, where they're all sitting around trying to figure something out. And, and uh, um, Angela Merkel and uh, Emmanuel Macron are right there trying to talk to him. And Trump is just sitting there with his arms crossed, looking at them like saying, F you. It's such an amazing picture. On a picture, this picture speaks a thousand words. So at any rate, first thing Donald Trump does, well, actually, the the Russian thing was bad enough. Even before that, he sort of threw a nuclear bomb into the G7 by announcing tariffs against everybody else who was going to be there. Tariffs against Mexico, aluminum and steel. Tariffs against Germany. Tariffs against France. Tariffs against the EU. Tariffs against Canada. And said, so... Before he had said, we're going to exempt them all from these new tariffs, he reversed his course before the G7, before he gets to Quebec, so he pisses them all off ahead of time. Then he throws this Russian thing out there. Then he arrives late, (laughs) uh, and then he leaves early before they get into any discussion about climate change. Uh, And then uh, then the U.S. has agreed to sign a final communique, but Prime Minister Trudeau gives a news conference where, by the way, he said nothing new. He said what he has said before, that if you put tariffs on us, we're going to put tariffs back on you. We're going to retaliate. Every other country has said the very same thing. And here's the way Prime Minister Trudeau said it. We may be nice guys, but... Canadians, we're polite, we're reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. And for that, Donald Trump threw a snit fit. He called Trudeau uh, very dishonest and weak and said, because he said that, we are not going to sign the final communique. And then he attacked Macron. He attacked Merkel. He attacked the whole, the whole gang uh, for, for turning against him when he's the one that attacked them and insulted them from beginning to end. I want to I want to read his tweet yeah. because this is the thing that that uh, really got everybody mad because he starts out saying, based on Justin's, the Prime Minister of Canada, mm-hmm. Prime Minister Trudeau, yeah. based on Justin's false statements at his news conference and the fact that Canada is charging massive tariffs to the United States and U.S. farmers, workers, and companies, I have instructed our U.S. reps not to endorse the communique as we look at tariffs on automobiles flooding the U.S. market. And then he says, PM Justin Trudeau of Canada acted so meek and mild during our G7 meetings, only to give a news conference after I left saying that U.S. tariffs were kind of insulting and he will not be pushed around. Very dishonest and weak. Our tariffs are in response to his of 270% on dairy. So he's calling the Prime Minister of Trudeau, our neighbor to the north, meek and mild. Calls him a liar, essentially. Very dishonest. Very and dishonest weak. and weak. Yeah. So right. Be- why? Because great job. Why? Because Dust- Justin Trudeau won't just roll over 
and let Donald Trump slap these tariffs on him without responding. Again, neither will Mexico, neither will China, neither will the EU. You cannot win this kind of a trade war. Donald Trump thinks he can, and he thinks he can do anything, and everybody's just going to say, oh, yes, Donald, oh, yes, Donald. I got to tell you, I admire all of these leaders for stand for standing up to Donald Trump. Uh, and then, Larry, you know, he sends his puppet, Larry Kudlow, out on the, on the Sunday talk shows to say, Trudeau stabbed us in the back. No, he didn't. Trudeau had said, by the way, even before the G7, Donald Trump had put the tariffs on and, and Canada had responded with some tariffs on, I forget what products, dairy, bourbon, we talked about that, bourbon and, and, and other things, uh, that, that other countries are slapping tariffs on American products. This is a no-win situation for American manufacturers. It's a no-win situation for American farmers. It's a no-win for American consumers. Because By the way, you, you mentioned Larry Kudlow. He was on State of the Union, on oh, CNN yeah. State of yeah. the Union yesterday, and you mentioned he talked about the, the stabbing, stabbing in, the in the back, right? But yeah. he also pointed out and said, and this is something that you've heard from a lot of different people in the Trump administration, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has certainly used this line before. If you hit Trump, oh, yeah. he's right. going to hit you back twice mm -hmm. as hard. How many times has President Trump said, if you hit me... I'm going to hit you back, okay? Right. And this is a case where Trudeau, it was like, I don't know, no. pouring collateral damage on this whole Korean trip. That was a part of Trudeau's mistake. Uh, it's, it's, no, 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 no. Who put the first tariffs right, on? Right. Donald Trump did. And, and he also, Kudlow, this is also from State of the Union, where he talked about, oh, you can't send Donald Trump off to this big North Korea summit with him looking weak. Mm -hmm. He can't put Trump in a position of being weak going into the uh, North Korean talks with Ken. He can't do that. And by the way, yeah. President Trump is not weak. He will be very strong, as he always <laughs> is. But Larry Kudlow is such a sellout. Oh, just catch so, those checks, Larry. So here's a guy who made a living on, on CNBC for all these years opposing tariffs. If you look back at Larry, I know him well. I used to do his show. He's a free trader. If you look back at Larry Kudlow's transcripts over the last 20 years, you will see he was one of the strongest voices against exactly what Donald Trump is doing. But Donald Trump gives him a chance to be a big shot. Donald Trump gives him a chance to be on cable television all the time on every channel, not just CNBC, and uh, to uh, be right there alongside the president of the United States with Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron. And now if he's there in Singapore, I don't know whether he is or not, but to put him on the world stage, and Larry Kudlow says, fine, I'll change my mind. I don't believe in anything. I'll totally, I'll totally sell out for you, Donald. Good boy, Larry. And that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. By the way, uh, Justin Trudeau was not the only one to uh, take on Donald Trump. So did uh, Emmanuel Macron, who has gone out of his way uh, to try to work together with Donald Trump, inviting him over to Paris last year for Bastille Day. Uh, Emmanuel Macron put out a statement where he accused Donald Trump of incoherence and inconsistency. Uh, yeah, that sort of uh, sums it up, I think. Yeah. That state dinner might, must not have had much of an effect, huh? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, the big, the big state dinner. So uh, with that, with that uh, Donald Trump is off to Singapore. He's there already. Who knows what's going to happen in Singapore? But Donald Trump says um, he
He doesn't have to uh, prepare for this. By the way, th- it's it's so funny. The headline in the, uh, I think it was the New York Times, maybe it was the Washington Post this morning. It's the preparation. The contrast is the preparation that Kim Jong-un has been in the middle of now for weeks, if not months, for this summit, and zero preparation on the part of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, in fact, again, uh, at the White House on the South Lawn before he's going out to, on his way out to uh, jump into Marine One on his way to Quebec, he says, I don't have to do any special preparation because my entire life has been getting ready for this summit. I said I've been preparing all my life. I always believe in preparation. <laughs> okay, let's just... Let's just compare that. Yeah. I've been preparing all my life. With what I'm he's, a big believer yeah. uh-huh. in preparation. Right. We mm-hmm. played this clip on Friday. Right. I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's what? about uh, yeah. attitude. It's oh. about uh, willingness to get things done. But I think I've been preparing for the summit for a long time. Yeah. As has the other side. I, I guess if you just say everything, you're never wrong. Right, like you can't go back and say, "Well, Donald Trump never said this." Because I am prepared. I'm not prepared. I don't. I have to prepare. I don't have to prepare. I've been preparing all my life. Uh, preparation is not important. It's all about tone and about attitude. You know, all over the place. Uh, but Donald Trump did say it's. Not, it won't take him long. It won't take him long to figure out that Kim Jong Un is serious. Okay, Donald. How long will it take? I think within the first minute, <laughs> I'll know. <laughs> Just my touch, my feel. That's what. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. How will you know? Just within the first Just raw instinct. Within the first minute, he'll walk in the room. By the way, he still he says this, and and he could very well. Just get up, and walk out within five minutes, or at the end of an hour. But the, what, what he's saying is he'll walk into the room, he'll look at him, he'll shake his hand, and he'll know whether this is going to work or not. Like, I, we, for him, it is all, I'm telling you, it is, I don't care what they say, it is all a photo op. Yeah. It's all a photo op. I, it really is. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. I, I, I just i am really curious about where some, some Trump voters sit on this, right? Because we've talked about this before, and we understand why some people voted for Donald Trump. But, like, do you really think that this is the best that we can put forward as a country? That you've got someone who says that they're not preparing. It's really all about attitude. Uh, That he's going to go in there and he's going to use his, quote, touch and feel for (laughs) the meeting. And, like, not actually, like, it's he's just going off of instinct. And I don't care if it's Barack Obama, I don't care if it's Hillary Clinton, I don't care if it's, like, the best that the Democratic Party has to offer. That's just not the way that this is supposed to work. Right. Yeah. I don't care who it is. But you wonder now, so what happens uh, with this? We'll see. By the way, again, 9 o'clock tonight, East Coast time, is the time 9 in the morning, Singapore time. So by tomorrow morning for our show, we'll know. We'll, we'll have an idea. Right. Yeah. And the one thing I think that uh, I have to say, where I think it shows a little bit of um, maybe somebody wiser is around Donald Trump and has, has, has convinced him of this. In several statements in the last couple of days, he has gone out of his way to lower expectations for the summit, which I think we should all recognize that this is not going to be the total breakthrough. This is, I mean, 
Kim Jong-un is not going to walk in and say, here's the key to my nuclear weapons. They're all yours right now. You can take them home. No. At the most, this is going to represent a thaw in relations and the beginning of a long process toward, hopefully, reunification of the the peninsula, uh, if not one country, but two countries that exist side by side peacefully um, with uh, a good trade between the two of them and no nuclear arms, a denuclearization, a denuclearization of the entire peninsula. That's the goal, and hopefully this will be a beginning of a process that could lead toward that goal. But it's not going to happen overnight. I think Donald Trump recognizes that, all, uh, that uh, as well. And we said before, if he can start that process and the process actually takes fruit and continues without blowing it up, then we'll give him credit for for succeeding where no other pres- no other American president, Republican or Democrat, has been able to do. Uh, but uh, that's far from far from uh, in the bag, particularly with the swagger in with which Donald Trump is walking into that. You know, one one good sort of exclamation point we can put on this argument. Bob Menendez was on uh, this week yesterday, and he said. Yeah. Getting in the meeting is not that hard. A meeting, uh, as I have said, and a deal is not the hardest part. It's getting the right deal at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's what it's really all about. Right. You could get a meeting with anybody. Sure. If you're the president of the United States. Yeah. For, for but, and by the way, purposes. the winner in getting the meeting, I still say, is Kim Jong-un. 100%. Absolutely. He has played this thing so, so for, for a 34-year-old nutcase. Yeah. He has played this whole relationship with Donald Trump like a violin, starting with the Olympics, then going down to meet with the president of South Korea, there at the, at, the, at the line, meeting with Pompeo, releasing these prisoners, blowing up this one nuclear site, yeah. whether for real or not, not doing any more tests. And now he's got Donald Trump flying all the way around the world to Singapore to meet with him. Um, yeah. No, no, no. So far in the PR war, Kim Jong-un is winning. We're going to wake up tomorrow morning and there will be a photo of a big grinning Donald Trump and a big grinning Kim Jong-un. And that's, I mean, you have to understand, that's exactly what Kim Jong-un wants. Exactly. Uh, Abby Huntsman uh, from uh, MSNBC sort of summed up what this meeting is all about. Uh, a little slip of the tongue here. Uh, listen, uh, listen very carefully how she describes uh, the two leaders. Talk to us about this moment. I mean, this is history. We are living, regardless of what happens in that meeting between the two dictators, what we are seeing right now, uh, this what, what, is history. What, 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 between whom? Between, but what, this meeting between whom? In that meeting between the two dictators. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Whoops. I thought I heard her say that, yeah. Well, this meeting between the two dictators. In that meeting between the two dictators. <laughs> Look. I love that. We get to go on and we get to say that Fox (laughs) News was actually correct. They didn't mean it. It was a slip up, but they were correct. In that meeting between the two dictators. That was on Fox News. Oh, I thought she's an MSNBC. No, she's she's Fox News, man. She's Fox News. Did she used to be on MSNBC? Okay. Anyway, well, by the way, if anybody knows, right, it's Fox News. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Did you think Trump can watch Fox and Friends from Singapore? Oh, I'm sure he's figured out a way to do it. 
I'm sure. That, I mean, that's where he gets or, all everything. Everything he knows comes from Fox News. Or they figured out a way he could do it for yeah, him. Yeah, they yeah. figured out a way. I'm not going unless I can watch Fox and Friends. <laughs> okay, Mr. President, we'll make it. We'll make it happen. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, as I mentioned at the very top, uh, Robert Mueller. Uh-uh. He has not gone away at all. He is still lurking out there, still hard at work with new charges now against Paul Manafort and a person we hadn't heard of until Friday. Uh, Zoe Tillman's going to hear to tell us all about it from BuzzFeed coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. So we'll take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Uh, and then we'll be right back Monday edition of the Bill Press Show. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Yes, here we are on a Monday, Monday, June 11. Welcome to the program, everybody. It's great to see you today. I hope you had a great weekend. We got lots to talk about today with uh, the uh, disastrous cluster up in uh, Quebec with the G7. And now, or is it... We call it the G6 today? I guess so. Donald Trump wants to make it the G8. Um, and now, and with anticipation, what might happen uh, in Singapore. Meanwhile, we're keeping up with the news of the day and brought to you today by the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. There's five unions coming together a few years ago and forming what they call the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers. Good men and women of the Smart Union giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay every day. Check out their website at smart-union.org. Zoe Tillman joins us from BuzzFeed uh, because there's some uh, news on the Robert Mueller front, which Donald Trump would hope would go away, but it just doesn't seem to ever go away. As always, nice to see you. Good to see you. It's a day ending in Y, so there is Robert Mueller news. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. And we have uh, a few comments from things we've been talking about earlier in the program. Yes, indeed. Don't forget, we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Susan Shepard says, uh, it's not the G7. It is the G6 plus one noisy, disruptive peacock, <laughs> referring to Donald yeah. Trump, of course. Uh, yeah. Joey weighing in. Remember last week we had that story about how Donald Trump said to Justin Trudeau, "Why did you try and didn't you didn't you burn down the White House?" Uh, oh, right. Which, 18, the War of eighteen twelve, which was obviously all, didn't you bur- you burn the White House down? So was, we're just getting even. It was obviously not Canada that did that. Yes, Joey right. says, "On second thought, maybe Canada will come down and burn down the White House after all. After this whole fight, I I hope well, that's while Trump's out of town, they might uh, maybe. Be the, uh, I heard somebody from Canada, one of the par- the one thing that Donald Trump has done is he's united Canada behind. Trudeau. Great. Right. right. Yeah, great. Because Trudeau had some, obviously, some opposition. Everybody is saying, go get him. And I saw, saw one of the parliamentarians up there said, you know, that with, with, with the school bully, somebody has to stand up and say, no, you can't have <laughs> right. my lunch money. <laughs> right. Uh, I mentioned that I didn't think that Donald Trump was uh, a Russian agent. I just think he's a dope that, that fell into this whole thing. Uh, Holly Tooker says, Pete, uh, Peter, Donald Trump is a Russian agent. This isn't high school. Uh, that's mm. their comment at BP Show on Twitter. And really, one one other quick comment. We also have the chat room, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, Mark says, Trump accomplished something that no president has ever done. He's pissed off all of Canada. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> yeah. being a total screw-up. 
Uh, find us on Twitter or on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Price Show or on but Twitter at BP Show. Just one way of looking at this is, okay, put a list, two lists side by side, okay? On one side, you list the world leaders that he has alienated Yeah. in the last, well, 18 months, but sure. particularly in the last couple of weeks, right? Who would include Prime Minister Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron of France, Angela Merkel of, of Germany, Theresa May of, of, of the UK, Nieto of Mexico. You could go down the list and add to it, right? And on the other side, the, the world leaders that he has um, pup, pumped up or praised, two, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un. Oh, don't forget Duterte, the guy that's oh, well, killing yes. his, his citizens. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump invited him to the White House. To the White House. And he now says he'll invite Kim Jong-un to the yeah, White House. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about something non-controversial. What's Robert Mueller up to? (laughs) You know, he's just hanging out, getting ready for the slow summer months, probably going on vacation for a couple weeks. The slow summer months, which include the Paul Manafort trial, which comes when? Quite soon. The end of July in Virginia is our first trial starting, and then he has another one in September. Okay. So back to back. So So with the last week, Mueller has come out after Manafort, first saying that he was violating the terms of his agreement, I guess, or parole right? So by he's, meddling with witnesses. He's been on home confinement since he was indicted in October. So people mm-hmm. forget that sometimes, that he's still under house arrest with two GPS monitoring bracelets. He's been trying to get out of that. And Mueller's office came back a couple weeks ago and said after he was re-indicted in February, he tried to reach out to some of his former business associates. And Mueller's office says he was doing that to try and convey information, to try and get them to, as one witness told the FBI, he thought to, to perjure themselves and you know give false information potentially or, or tell others to give false information to Mueller's office. You can't violate, you can't commit a crime while you're on <laughs> house arrest. That's one of the terms of not being in jail. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mueller's office says to the judge, you know, we think you should either adjust his release conditions or maybe he should not be released at all. So that came a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they laid out what they thought was probable cause for committing a crime. So perhaps unsurprisingly, on Friday, we got a new indictment against Paul Manafort actually charging him with obstruction of justice and conspiracy to obstruct justice for these same issues that they had laid out a couple of weeks what, ago. So I read that he was actually talking to some business associates, former business associates, I guess, in Europe, saying, Now, here's what you have to say, that all the lobbying you you did was in Europe. You didn't do any lobbying in the U.S. And it was conveyed in a not-so-specific way. Um, It was a series of text messages, attempted phone calls to these members of a former PR firm that had connected Manafort and uh, his company with a bunch of former European officials known as the Habsburg Group. And Mueller's office says that what Manafort did was he got together this group to engage in an illegal, unregistered lobbying scheme in the United States on behalf of Ukraine. So having these former European officials going on the Hill saying we need to be more pro-Ukraine under the pro-Russia former president, Viktor Yanukovych. Um, And so what Mueller's office says is after he was reindicted, he tried to reach out to these former associates. And there was one message that said something like, I told them we only did work in Europe. Mm. And this potential witness told investigators that he saw that as an attempt to suborn perjury because the witness, D1, is how he's referred to, knew that they had done that. So there wasn't a message 
I mean, that we know of right. from Manafort saying, please lie about this. Right. But the witness sort saw it as an attempt yeah. to kind of get their stories straight. All right. So when they uh, filed these new charges on Friday, it wasn't just against Manafort. You know, I was over at CNN at the time when this broke, and um, a couple of us were here in the green room, and we and, and, and they named this Russian. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, and we all looked at each other and said, who's that? We never heard of him. Yeah, so his name is Konstantin Kalimnik, and his name has cropped up from time to time. We knew him previously. He had been Manafort's man in Kiev in Ukraine. So while Manafort was doing a lot of work for Yanukovych, for the pro-Russia party in power in Ukraine at the time, mm -hmm. uh, he was working with Kalimnik. Uh, he's a Russian-Ukrainian. He's a native of Ukraine, I believe. He's now a citizen of Russia. Uh, he reportedly uh, had ties to or did work with Russian intelligence. He may have still had ties to Russian intelligence as of 2016, according to some court filings. He sort of came into contact with different players in the investigation. Manafort's former, you know, longtime associate, Rick Gates, who has pleaded guilty and is cooperating. So Rick Gates had told another defendant in the Mueller probe, Alex Vanderswan, you may remember him as the Dutch lawyer. He's the guy who's in jail. He just got out. He's now back oh. in the Netherlands. He served his time. That was fast. He has been... Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't reported a long for sentence. all intents was, right. and purposes. It was a month yeah. for lying okay. to the FBI about his contacts with mm -hmm. uh, other people involved in the investigation. So he, Vanderswan, told Mueller's office that Rick Gates told him that Kalimnik still had ties to Russian intelligence during the campaign period. So this was sort of one of the few really direct lines that was drawn between Russian intelligence and the Trump campaign. Rick Gates was the deputy campaign chairman. Paul Manafort was the campaign chairman for a series of a couple months. And there seemed to be this this line that got drawn through the different court filings, Russia to the campaign. Um, up until now, Kalimnik has been referred to as person A. And there was a lot of speculation and reporting that he Kalimnik was person A. This is the first official confirmation that that's who it is. We can now all say with no hedging that it's Kalimnik. So he has also been charged because Mueller's office says he also tried to contact these former business associates to try and get their stories in line about their work with the Habsburg group. All right. So is this the first solid evidence we have of collusion between the Trump campaign and a Russian operative? I don't know. I mean, is, there are lines that are being drawn. Wait, whether wait, this is wait, wait. He's a Russian intelligence officer, or he's got Russian intelligence uh, contacts, and he's working with the campaign chairman and the deputy campaign chairman. I think a big question is— If that's not is, collusion, what is? You know, what, what were the nature of his ties to Russian intelligence at that point? He has denied—we should say he's denied having ties to Russian intelligence, at least in the current period, beyond whatever work he did in the past— so we don't know, you know, was he completely disconnected and it was just a coincidence that he had this background and now he was working with Manafort. We don't know. Nothing has been alleged about collusion so far. You know, again, when the president says yeah. no collusion, that's what he's referring to. No one's been charged with anything. Right, right. Um, Mueller, Manafort, uh, Mueller, Manafort, Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mueller's office has not, you know, made that criminal charge against anyone. So there are just, you know, connections being made right now that we're all piecing together. Right. Okay. So um, in terms of uh, connections, I can see that um, some of the, uh, let's say, Trump's lawyers would, would look at this 
and say, okay, this is this is all well and good or well and bad or whatever, but that's Paul Manafort. That's his business dealings. That's you, done to do with Ukraine. This has nothing to do with Donald Trump, the Trump campaign, or the president of the United States. This is all totally unrelated. So why don't you just, you know, admit that, right, that they've got nothing on Trump? Well, I think the the big thing to remember is how many people are still cooperating with Mueller's office. This is not over. You know, we know Paul Manafort has now been charged. I think there are two or three superseding indictments. So it's been this trickle of information coming out of this investigation. It hasn't been they put out all they got in October and that's the end of it. You know, Rick Gates is now cooperating. We don't know what he's telling Mueller's office. Mike Flynn is still cooperating. Still, uh, Papadino uh, yeah. is, Donald, uh, I mean, but yeah, Paul, no, Paul so Manafort's no... business deals don't really relate to the Trump campaign no. and the Russian hacking. As far as we know now, there's no connection. Nothing's been laid out. Um, what he's mostly been charged with is having to do with his pre-campaign work right, going back right, decades right. for Ukraine. Which is an argument Completely that the Trump unrelated. people keep making about why the Robert Mueller investigation has gotten gone off the rails. Mm-hmm. So do they have a point? I mean, they can. I think it's fair for them to say that, you know, Mueller has yet to publicly at least accuse the president of anything. To, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say nothing's come out against the campaign. You know, you had a former campaign advisor, George Papadopoulos. Yeah. You know, in his charging papers, he pleaded guilty to lying about his contacts while he was working with the campaign about communicating with someone who had promised to put him in touch with a Russian mm-hmm. who at the time he initially thought was related to Putin. You know, it's not like nothing has come out connecting the campaign right. to Russia. But I, I think the president's lawyers so far are fair to say nothing has tied certainly not Trump individually, to any of this, but, and really not the campaign. Right, yeah, which doesn't mean that they won't eventually. But We have to no the, idea. So far. Yeah. Now, here, one, one thing that strikes me about this is, as you point out, so many people are cooperating, okay? Papadopoulos is, Michael Flynn is, Rick Gates is, uh, I'm sure there are others, right? Mm-hmm. Not Paul Manafort. Why is he... Fighting this and knowing that he could face what? What's obstruction? He could face how much? Obstruction time? is twenty years, but the most serious charge is in Virginia for bank fraud, and that's thirty years. Okay, so he's looking at maybe thirty years. Why? Why is he fighting this? He maintains that he's innocent. He maintains that this is a witch hunt, that they are dredging up old business about him, things that he says DOJ knew about and looked into long before he was on the campaign and they you know they didn't charge him for years even though they were watching him they were aware of his dealings in Ukraine and he's saying you know why now the only reason you're doing this now is to try and get at the president and that there's really there's no there there for whatever he, I mean, he did it must years be ago. costing him a fortune so his friends have set up a legal defense fund they're now crowdsourcing fundraising online um, they say that he's having trouble paying his bills. He's got a legal team, I think, of three or four lawyers at this point. In court, you know, they've tried to argue that he should get some access to some of his assets that have been frozen. Since he was indicted, he has properties, bank accounts that are all subject to forfeiture. Which Don't you feel horrible for him? I can't use I'm, them. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'll... Heartbroken. Go You're going to donate? And, <laughs> go online. You get the defense fund? Yeah, the, the defense fund. But, I mean, it just it strikes me as strange that he is, like, 
all alone, you know, in, in, in fighting this. And it makes me wonder, maybe he does have some kind of a deal, implicit or direct, with Donald Trump saying, don't, you don't have to worry, you're not going to go to prison. I'm going to, I'm going to pardon you. Who knows? But yeah, he's really he's fighting tooth and nail. They and are given really Donald Trump's coming at Mueller. Celebrity pardons and his basically, you know, my friends, I'll, I'm taking care of Martha Stewart, Rod Blagojevich, even suggesting with them. Um, it's not a stretch to, to, that he would to believe that he would give a pardon to Paul Manafort. It's entirely possible. I mean, it's almost more so possible because we know the president has been not using the usual process to do pardons, right? You know, someone will come to him and make a personal pitch. We had Sylvester Stallone, Kim Kardashian. He's really fully exercising the full weight of his authority to pardon and offer clemency to really whoever he wants, not going through the sort of formal DOJ application process. So anything is possible. And but, you know, also nothing is guaranteed. So I think in the meantime, Manafort is just fighting on every front, and we'll see what happens. Uh, and it, uh, one of the fronts that Manafort is fighting on is he has, he's accused um, Robert Mueller of trying to poison the jury. Yeah, this is something we've heard a few times from his camp that Mueller has been, you know, putting out little bits and pieces of damaging information and filings knowing that we're going to, we the press, are going to write a story about it. And, you know, initially when Mueller accused, Mueller's office accused Manafort of trying to tamper with witnesses, it wasn't the charging papers. It was in a document about his release conditions. And so Manafort was saying, you know, they're just trying to squeeze in negative information without even necessarily charging me, although they now have charged him, Mm -hmm. Um, but in an attempt to poison what is a pretty small jury pool, at least here in the district, and make it impossible for anyone to have a fair assessment of his personality. He noted that Mueller had made a point of saying he was using encrypted applications, and Manafort was saying that that's just trying to make him seem shady and dubious. You know, why is he using encrypted applications, but then saying he means, you know, WhatsApp, which a lot of people use out in the world. It just is encrypted. Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying that Mueller is trying to you know, send out these damaging pieces of information into the ether in the hopes that they'll seep into the consciousness of this potential jury pool in D.C. and Northern Virginia. Right. So Zoe Tillman's with us here from BuzzFeed. You know, it's buzzfeed.com, right, mm-hmm. uh, where you can follow all of her reporting on uh, the Robert Mueller investigation. Um, and uh, now... It, to deal with the whole Mueller investigation, um, Donald Trump brought in the uh, crack attorney from New York by the name of Rudy Giuliani, who has made some incredible statements. Uh, he did meet with Mueller because he and Mueller worked together at one time. Mueller worked for him, I think, at one time, or Rudy worked for yes. Mueller. I forget which one I in, in, the, yeah. in the attorney U.S. Attorney's Office. So they have a relationship. They did meet. And ever since then, Rudy has been leaking um, every well, every, like things that were said at that meeting, allegedly said at that meeting. We have not right. heard from Robert Mueller, but no. we've heard. So, among the things that he has said is that, according to Rudy, is uh, that Robert Mueller ad- admits that he cannot charge the president of the United States with a crime. He would issue his report, and then it would have to go to be up to, Congress, go to Congress to impeach, right? right. Right. So right now, whatever report Mueller puts out, 
is going to go to Rod Rosenstein, the official at justice overseeing it. Right. Um, and that's recommendations, right. et cetera. But who are not charged with a crime. So is Correct. is that do we have an indication that that's exactly that that's what Mueller believes? We have no idea what Mueller believes. I think it's worth saying at the start that whatever Giuliani says, Mueller says it's what he says Mueller says, but we have no way to independently corroborate that. There have not yeah, been reporters right. in the room during these conversations. Mueller has not been heard from or really seen. During this investigation, he's not in court. How does he get in and out of the courthouse without? I mean, he's not there. Every picture you see of Robert Mueller is like a year, at least a year old. He was spotted downtown once in the past six months. Someone snapped a candid photo of him, you know, like 16th and K. And it was a sighting in the wild and it was very exciting. We don't see him (laughs) in court. We really don't. I mean, there are reporters who are staked out at the courthouse almost every day. There are photographers on both entrances. There is one way that they can come in um, through the parking garage where no one would see him. But the odds of him just being there secretly on some regular basis and no one noticing is highly unlikely. We really don't have reason to think he's been at court very often, if at all. He's just been completely out of the limelight. All right. So Rudy also says that this whole thing is going to be wrapped up. And Mueller knows he has to wrap it up by the midterms because otherwise he would be seen as interfering with this election. Well, I can tell you it's, you know, assuming Manafort doesn't plead guilty, this is not going to be wrapped up by September 1st, which I, is the deadline Rudy Giuliani said. I mean, Manafort right. is going to trial, I think it's September, mid to late September. So we're going to still be talking about this, if that's still going on at least. Um, the cooperation for some of these defendants is still going. Um, There's no end date for that. You know, Rudy Giuliani has said September 1st, and whether it's he's made the pitch for it to be over by September 1st, whether he's gotten promises from Mueller that it will be over by September 1st, I think these are sort of nuances in how he's phrased it that aren't entirely clear. Um, You know, everyone we talk to says Robert Mueller is a stand-up man of integrity, and it's possible that he may agree that, you know, he wants to get it wrapped up by the midterm so as to not fall into the situation that James Comey was in before the 2016 election, where Comey said he felt like it was a a lose-lose scenario for him talking about the Clinton emails investigation. Either you you say something before and you're accused of interfering, or you wait and you're accused of hiding or covering up. Um, Mueller may feel the same pressure. We just don't know. But it's worth saying, you know, nothing is is clear and nothing is confirmed. So Rudy Giuliani can say what he's going to say. But we have no way of so knowing you're, that. So you, you cover this all the time. Do you have any inclination yourself? Have you seen any signs that would tell you that Robert Mueller is starting to wrap things up? Yes and no. So, you know, for example, George Papadopoulos, the former campaign advisor, uh, we know that his cooperation is coming to an end. They filed papers moving his case towards sentencing, which means that he's basically done, if not already, soon cooperating with the office. Which may mean that he simply has nothing more to tell them. Right. So that's that's the thing. Does, you know, it, just because cooperation ends doesn't yeah. mean that that ends the line of inquiry. It just means he said and turned over all he's going to say or turn over. Um, but, you know, that is an end point for, for a yeah. line yeah. in the right. investigation. Right. Um, so, but other than those types of um milestones, which are, I don't know if you call them milestones, there's not a whole lot that we've gotten from them indicating it's it's over. 
we're still getting new. We just got a new uh, indictment. So. And finally, yeah, right. And finally, Rudy says that the president can pardon himself and that Robert Mueller agrees. Well, that's those are two very different things. Yes. Um, I think there are legal scholars who would agree that the president can pardon himself. There is not a whole lot of precedent for this. Um, there is a DOJ opinion that I believe concluded that he cannot pardon himself or it's unsettled if he can pardon himself. Um, but he has very broad power to do it. And it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. Usually everybody adds, well, he can, but he will never do it. Right. Because I never say never <laughs> on any of this. The only, only reason to pardon himself is if he had committed a crime. So it's it's a it's a it's a sticky wicket uh, at best. So it's good to catch up on everything that's going on in this Mueller investigation. Thank you so much for coming in. Always glad to Thanks be here. for keeping on top of it for us. And when we come back, what's the latest on uh, immigration breaking up families this at the border with Daryl Lynn? Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, some people are calling it a summit. We're calling it a cluster after Donald Trump left, indeed. Uh, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday, June 11? So good to see you today, and we thank you for, uh, for joining up here with The Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're right in the heart of the action. Uh, bringing you up to date on the news of the day. Yep, what happened uh, and what Donald Trump did to blow up the G7 summit in Quebec. What we might expect from what's go- from uh, this summit to be um, about 12 hours from now in Singapore between the President of the United States and Kim Jong-un, the two dictators, <laughs> as was said over the weekend, uh, sitting down, and the latest on U.S. immigration fam- uh, policy and blowing up uh, or separating families down at the border uh, under uh, Donald Trump's instructions and Jeff Sessions' orders as well. To help us through particularly the immigration stuff, we welcome to the studio Dara Lind, a senior reporter for Vox. Hello, Dara. Nice to see you. Good morning. Good to be on. It's been a while since we've seen you in, and uh, and you got your uh, Nats cap on, which we're very proud of. Thank you. Um, we will um, tell you what's going on with the news of the day, starting with the immigration stuff here with uh, Dara, and look forward to hearing from you, your comments on all the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter. At BP Show, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. Immigration first, but. First. 
But first, this is the Full Peter Court Rockford. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. This is my favorite story of the day. We go really? to New Jersey where a man by the name of Tayeb Suwami went, gro- went to the grocery store, bought a bottle of orange juice for $5. He came home and his wife said, you know what? We can get the same brand on sale for $2.50 at a different store. So he took the orange juice back to the store, and while he was there, he said, oh, what the hell, I'll buy a Powerball ticket. Now, he has a daughter going off to college. They just refinanced their home. So he said, we're saving some money on the orange juice. I can buy a Powerball ticket, and that paid off for him. He won a lot of money in the Powerball. Mm. $315.3 million to be exact. He said that there were signs up when he was there. The Powerball had ballooned to $306 million when he bought the ticket. And at the end of the day, mm. he really cashed in. Now, you're going to love this, Bill, because he won the Powerball. He had a job. Is he going to keep that job? I quit my job. He already yes. quit. He already <laughs> quit. He already quit his damn job. He's not going to go back to that job. Why would he? He's got $312 no. million. Why you know, I, uh, that is so great. I heard... That, that the winner was going to come forward. They didn't know who the winner was. That's the last I heard. I didn't realize the story. Now oh we know. God, Hackensack, great. New Jersey is, uh, is the winner, uh, is where the winner was found. Tayeb Suami uh, is the winner. So congratulations to him. By the way, congratulations also in order over the weekend. There it is. Justify did it. A triple crown. He did it. The Belmont Stakes took place over the weekend up in New York, and Justify won the Triple Crown. It's so funny how this was one of the most unreachable pinnacles in all of of, uh, sports. And we had one not that long ago. American Pharaoh won a couple years ago, three, four years ago. Yeah, and before that, I think it was like 26 years or something, there had not been a Triple Crown. It was a major drought. So It's the fastest, you know, Two minutes in history, I think, yeah. right? Seriously. And they say he's going to race again later on this year. He's going to take a little bit of a break, and then he's going to go back, and he's going to uh, he's going to race some more. By the way. And his stud fee has gone up uh, considerably. Considerably, right? yeah. yeah. By the way, if you go to the grocery store today and you buy pre-cut melon, be careful. They are being recalled in several different states because there is a salmonella outbreak, specifically to melon. Uh, that has been pre-cut. So just be careful. Be on the lookout if you're going to buy any of that. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, here's the way you piss off your friends. You arrive late, you leave early, and then you insult all of them on the way out the door. That's what Donald Trump did up in Quebec, and now he's heading off for another uh, international cluster in Singapore. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Monday, Monday, June 11. Great to see you today, and we thank you for joining us as we boom out to you live coast to coast. From our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, joining you on um, Free Speech TV and on the radio out in the great Chicago, greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. 
Joining us in studio, Dara Lind, who covers immigration issues, particularly senior reporter for Vox. Hi, Dara. Nice to see you again. Always um, good to be on. What's the latest on the pizza guy? Uh, so in a move that's actually kind of legally interesting and unprecedented, a federal judge has blocked him from being uh, deported because it's said that he has the grounds to challenge the deportation order that he previously received. That's like, if that goes through, that could substantially change the calculus for a lot of the people who are getting apprehended and deported right now because the Trump administration has been going after people who have passed deportation orders by saying that they're low-hanging fruit because mm-hmm. uh, they don't have to go through the back backlogged, years-long immigration court yeah. process. Yeah. If this goes through, that could, in fact, open the door to a lot of people being able to go through immigration court uh, and could substantially cramp the administration's style. But it does also, it is also raising questions in New York in particular about why the... N- New York State is not allowing unauthorized immigrants to get driver's licenses, which presumably could have prevented this from happening to begin with. The dude had a municipal ID and was able to present that, but that kind of raised red flags about his immigration status. Advocates are arguing that if New York were willing to grant driver's licenses, that that kind of situation wouldn't occur. Hmm, Interesting point. So he had... um been delivering pizza. He had delivered pizza to this army base many times before. What 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 happened this time? And every other time so, showed the same ID, got in, delivered his pizza and left, right? Right. I mean, if there are particular details about what spurred this, I don't know and don't have them, but it often but, is the case with institutions that all it takes is one individual who decides that it's their job to, you know, to not accept or either to not accept the form of ID that you're being given or to say, well, I know that this ID is usually correlated with being an unauthorized immigrant if you're not presenting me with an actual driver's license. It's, you know, one of the things that we've seen that isn't getting a lot of attention is kind of individual business owners, landlords, people who just want to, who see themselves as like being the ground troops uh, threatening their tenants or employees. And this is, I think, an offshoot of that in the absence of any firm policy saying that you can't do that, no, it's it, yeah. you know up to individual people to do it. it it's the, I, I, I call it the security guard complex. You know, they, they, they get that uniform and then suddenly they think that they're the only person that stands between total chaos or anarchy and law and order. And, um, and they just go overboard, which it seemed to me that this one, this one guard did. But I mean, and, and also the idea that our national security was threatened by the pizza guy with two kids and his wife who's just earning a living. This is often how kind of, you know, the things and that are often of started that... as national security terrorism threats end up getting used for much more routine law enforcement, right? And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing right now with the if you see something, say something complex, which was initially promoted by the government as a way to make sure that genuine terrorism threats were being identified, is now being taken as a way, as, as justification for if you see something that you suspect is illegal or that you don't want to see happen and you think law enforcement could fix that problem for you, you should feel empowered to call. Like uh, that lawyer in New York who saw, who heard people speaking Spanish in a restaurant. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. God, that I call the cops. I find that it's it's amusing because it's so because that particular 
monologue was so obviously incoherent. He was, you know, talking to people who were working and saying that he paid their welfare, uh, which indicates the kind of contradictory nature of a lot of stereotypes about unauthorized immigrants. But there are definitely times when that's going to work. You know, ICE does have tip lines that people are encouraged to call. And there's a very open question as to because we don't know how ICE is making decisions about who to go after in the Trump administration, there's an open question as to whether calls like that are actually re resulting in a large scale in who's getting targeted for deportation. Well, on that on that score, I saw a, a, a very troubling um, story on CBS News the other evening, where you know we hear about the sanctuary cities where where cities are saying no, we're not going to cooperate with ICE, or maybe they're not declaring war on ICE, but we're not going to do the dirty work for ICE, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to. Uh, but now there are more and more cities and counties which are saying, no, we want to work with ICE. This particular story revolved around a, a sheriff down in Georgia mm -hmm. who was saying, no, it is my job to enforce the law. And, and these local police departments all get training from ICE, and their training is basically racial profiling. So to what extent is that, do you see that happening? So there's... Do you know what I'm talking always about? Been, yeah, there, there's always been a spectrum. Uh, this is kind of the latest outgrowth of the 287G program, which is one of the main ways that the federal government kind of deputizes local and, uh, local and state law enforcement. Um, the most aggressive side of that has not come back into effect. It's no longer the case that uh, lo local law enforcement gets to like go through and help ICE with ICE raids, but they are kind of responsible for checking people's immigration status in jails. And that often does lead to the kind of how do you know who's undocumented stuff that in the context of immigration enforcement is not illegal racial profiling. As long as there's some other, uh, yeah, you know, right. characteristic that you're judging it on, uh, federal courts have ruled that the Supreme Court has ruled that it's okay to like have race as a factor in making that determination. But there's the thing about the spectrum is that it really how big an impact that has on immigration enforcement nationally is going to depend on depend on how many immigrants you have in your jurisdiction. And so what we've seen and there's a really good report from the think tank, the Migration Policy Institute, that kind of lays this out in some detail because they did a lot of field work uh, in various communities in the first months of the Trump administration, so the places that are getting more gung-ho about it are in Texas and in the Southeast. And a lot of places in, you know, say California, in Illinois, and other places where there have been large immigrant populations traditionally are getting harder line in, you know, being quote-unquote sanctuary jurisdictions. So they're cooperating with ICE less than they would have under the Obama administration. So there are kind of two conclusions you can draw from that. One is that the numbers aren't going to get made up by the places in Georgia that are trying to deport people because it's there are just fewer unauthorized immigrants in Georgia mm -hmm. than there are in L.A. Mm -hmm. But the other conclusion is that it's genuinely more dangerous to be an unauthorized immigrant in Georgia or North Carolina or places like that than it is in some other parts of the country. And that kind of dis you know, the split in the unauthorized immigrant experience is something that is probably going to shape a lot of people's lives for a very long time. Okay. So um, a lot of attention to um, the new policy of the um, Trump administration and the Justice Department, which is every single person, as I understand it, 
treating every single person who comes here illegal as a criminal just just for that reason alone. They don't have to to, to uh, violate any other law. And uh, in the case of families, sp- splitting up these families and um, putting the kids in well, in, I guess these facilities until they're right they as, as John Kelly famously said in foster care or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, or whatever. Right. right. Or whatever. The, uh, to, to be clear, this is their policy. They do not appear to have the resources to make this happen just yet. Um, if you look at the actual numbers on family separation, it looks like in the weeks after the policy, um, some you know 650 kids got split from 630 parents, which is not nothing, but is also about probably 25% of the number of people who would have come in during that, families that would have come in during that time. So it's not... They want it to be universal. It's not there yet, but but, but yeah, but six hundred fifty uh, kids. That's that's still right. And over the course of two weeks, zone or right, is right. And this is the system that is draconian. in place is was designed for ki- people who were under the age of eighteen who were coming into the U.S. without adult relatives. Those are more likely to be teenagers, and they're more likely to be coming to the U.S. where they have either their parents already live here or another close relative. So. Before this policy got put into place, most of the kids were ultimately being released. 60% of them were ultimately being released to parents. That's obviously not possible when your parents are in detention. And a lot of the children that this system now has to deal with, right, many of them are still in diapers. They're, you know, plenty of six, seven, and eight-year-olds. So the federal government understands that it doesn't have the space for all of this and it doesn't have the capacity. It's trying to enlist more transitional foster homes. But there are you know, a bunch of stories that came out over the weekend of foster families in Michigan who, you know, took these, you know, picked up these eight year olds at the airport and only then realized that not only did they not have a way to like call their parents to let them know they were safe, but they didn't know where their parents were because their parents were in some, you know, federal jail somewhere awaiting trial. And and it's horrifying. It, it's absolutely horrifying. Splitting up these families, putting them with total strangers. Uh, yeah. I'm sure these kids have very little uh, knowledge of English, right? Yeah, and you know because these are Central American families, often their first language isn't Spanish either. Right, um, and they're little kids, and and and, and they're separated from their parents. How traumatic for them. Right. I mean, ultimately, some of, if they're if they do have relatives in the U.S., then they can be released to them. Uh, however, the Trump administration has been threatening for a while that uh, it will prosecute parents who whose children come over as unauthorized as, as unaccompanied aliens because it will mm-hmm. accuse them of trafficking. And they've just proposed a regulation that would allow them to fingerprint and use those fingerprints for enforcement purposes, any relative who picks up a child. So, so it's kind of creating a dragnet. Meanwhile, what's happening to these parents? So the parents are being put through the kind of mass prosecutions for illegal entry that have happened at the border for years and years. They'll be brought in and like, you know, 80 of them at a time over the course of a morning, they'll just go down the line. Do you plead guilty? Do you plead guilty? Usually they don't get anything in the way of a prison sentence. They're sentenced to time served because it's already been a few weeks for them. And, but then they then, get sent back to immigration detention for their deportation case, which is where they can actually plead asylum. In theory, ICE says that that's when they can be reunited with their children. But there's no system in place. They can try to call the you know, the agency where their kids are being held, which is under HHS, and hopefully the agency can find them, but the agency can't call back because you don't have access to a phone in immigration detention. 
So it, it, there are cases, the ACLU's lawsuit against this policy, uh, one of the plaintiffs is a woman who was separated from her child and has been kept in immigration detention for eight months. And the child was only reunited with her last week, probably because of the lawsuit. There are other cases where you know parents are being deported without being able to see their children. And it's so not the government is sometimes saying that it doesn't think it's their job. That is, once the family is separated, it does not consider them a family anymore. <laughs> Good. They actually, Lord. yeah, it, in this ACLU suit, a DOJ official told the judge that once the child is classified as an unaccompanied minor, there is no effort to reunite the family. So if the parents are deported, let's say you said that you know, these kids that went to Michigan, mm -hmm. then their kids are in Michigan for the rest of their lives. Yeah. With total strangers. Yeah, it's. It's not clear how frequently that's happening because when you, you know, putting through an asylum claim, you theoretically, if your initials, if you pass your initial screening, you're often here for months trying to fight that. But there are already cases of, you know, people who have been deported kind of coming back after a few weeks. And while I haven't seen this reported explicitly, the implication that I'm reading between the lines is that some of these are parents who are coming back after having been sentenced and deported because their kids are still in the U.S. Well, that would be reason for me to come back, right? If my kids were here. I'd want to see my kids. I want to be sure my kids are okay. Right, which, of course, indicates what? that the Trump administration's argument that this is somehow going to well, result there... in fewer people coming yeah. through you know what? It doesn't hold. I hear these stories, and I just wonder, why isn't there more outrage about this? I mean, why are people just letting this happen? So those are two different questions, I think. This really has generated um, a consistent outrage among people who are already outraged by the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. I, I would in, even go so far as to say it's generated outrage among people who weren't familiar enough with immigration policy to be outraged about stuff under the Obama administration and that they're, some of the things they're getting outraged about are not, in fact, new. But just because there's outrage because of the nature of this president and his administration under Obama, when things happened on immigration that generated a substantial backlash, like border patrol agents or trying to board buses and ask people for IDs, for example, that was a fairly common practice in the early years of the Obama administration. There was bad press and outrage. And so they dialed it back yeah. under the Trump administration. That's as oh. often as not seen as an indication to do more of it. Oh, because of course. It's owning the list. Oh, they love bad publicity. <laughs> they love bad publicity. They get so much of it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it's just really, really troubling. And um, so thanks for staying on top of this, Sarah, and uh, for joining us today. Bring us up to date. Always. Um, we're going to uh, take a quick break. Uh, take a quick break. A little early break, but a quick break because we want to bring Zach Beecham in from, uh, also from Vox, colleague of Dara's. Tag uh, team. <laughs> to talk about um, the G7 and what's coming up in Singapore. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Uh, and we're back on this uh, Monday, June 11 here, the, uh, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Uh, and brought to you today by the AFT, the great men and women of the American Federation of Teachers under President Randy Weingarten. They are uh, doing the Lord's work every day in the classroom. And boy, they are stirring things up these days in state after state after state, uh, being willing to put their jobs on the line uh, to get more money for schools, for their kids, for school books, for desks. And also a better and a decent living wage for America's teachers. 
Well, uh, Donald Trump blowing things up in Quebec and then going off to Singapore. Zach Beecham covers these issues, senior reporter for Vox, uh, joining us in studio. Hey, Zach, always good to see you. Oh, good to be here, Bill. It's always so, so fun. So uh, here's foreign policy in the uh, Trump administration. You arrive late. You leave early and you piss them all off on your way out the door, right? I just, I can't believe this. It's Canada. It's Canada. It's <laughs> of all of the countries that, that you could would. be angry about. Yeah. It's right. Canada. Yeah. And um, what did Donald, what did Justin Trudeau say that would make Donald Trump so angry? Justin Trudeau saying very, I think, politely, yeah, we're nice people, but you cannot just roll over us. Here he is. Canadians, we're polite, we're reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. Well, that's not anything new, right? Even before the G7 summit, when Donald Trump said, we're going to slap these tariffs on Canada and EU and and everybody else, uh, Canada said, well, then we're going to retaliate with some tariffs against American products. I mean, everybody knew, right? No, it wasn't surprising at all. It was no. it was what Trump started. Yes. Right? And Trudeau's response is what anyone in his position would have done. And what's interesting is in Canada, he was his popularity was dipping. Uh, he was facing you know resistance from the conservative party and on the left from the NDP. And since the Trump fracas, the entire Canadian political spectrum has supported Trudeau's position because, of course, it- country is being targeted for trade sanctions. Well, not really sanctions, but trade tariffs by your big neighbor. Of course, you have to unite around the idea that we need to retaliate against this and defend our own industries. You can't just let Trump walk on you. And what did he think any other national leader was just going to say, oh, Trump is the greatest. He has all of these buildings. Of course, we'll let him do whatever he wants. No. That's what he expects. That one photo of Trump sitting there with his arms crossed, right, just in defiance of all the other world leaders who are huddled around, obviously trying to get him to agree to some point. I don't know. I thought said it all. And then in a peak uh, with Trudeau making that statement, Donald Trump called him very dishonest, weak, and refused to sign the communique. So what do we have now, the G6? Uh, Yeah, maybe the G6 plus one. Uh, is yeah, the right way yeah, to put it. Okay. It's they're, they're these countries. They all meet, and they all generally agree on on pretty much everything in terms of the big picture issues, and especially on economic issues. Uh, and climate change. Yeah. Which it, is an economic issue as well as an environmental n- issue. N- yeah. Not insignificant for the yeah. future of our planet and the fact that my kids might die from, you know, mm-hmm. whatever happens to the climate. Um, the notion that this has become a forum for conflict and for like vicious infighting, that's that's unprecedented. As far as I can tell, there have been arguments at the G7 and disagreements. Sure. The Iraq War was a big one. That used to be the G8 until they kicked out Russia. But you know, the United States was the core and the leader of the team. Right. Uh, it's like I don't know if Alex Ovechkin had quit the Caps partway through the Stanley <laughs> Cup Finals and had decided he was going to play for the, for Vegas. Right. That's roughly what's happening right now, analogically. Right. Now, uh, you mentioned Russia. So on his way to the G8, uh, the the president kind of surprised everybody out of the blue saying, oh, the way to make the uh, G7 work is to bring Russia back. They threw Russia out. They should let Russia come back in because we should have Russia at the negotiating table. Okay, so they threw Russia out. In 2014, because Russia invaded a neighboring country and seized part of its territory. 
So why should we let them back in four years later? We shouldn't, right? They haven't apologized. They're still occupying Crimea. They annexed Crimea and are still supporting rebels and fighting in eastern Ukraine. Russia is against what the G7 as an organization stands for, which is a world order, a rules-based world order in which people adhere to a set of um, principles for resolving disagreements that are always peaceful, in which cooperation and not conflict dominates the way that countries relate to each other, especially wealthy countries that are trying to deal with rogue states and authoritarian ones. Uh, and Trump doesn't understand that vision of the world. He just he literally does not grasp it. Right. In his mind, the United States is pitted and at odds with every other country on Earth. It's America first, which means that we cooperate when we can, but we try to take opportunities to leverage ourselves uh, irrespective of whether or not we've made agreements with countries in the past that bind us towards mutually beneficial agreements and policy arrangements. Uh, and there are other things with Russia we could mention, like mm, something to do with meddling in the 2016 Sorry, election. Sorry, Bill, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm yeah, unfamiliar. Really. I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or maybe meddling, not maybe, meddling in this year's election, the 2018 elections, maybe poisoning diplomats on British soil. You could go down the list. And, and we were talking about this earlier. What is it about Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin? I mean, I was having a discussion with some people about this last night, and theories ranged from the P-tape is real to... Uh, it, there's just an alignment of interests, an alignment of worldview, and Trump is stubborn. And so when Trump, you know, initially he kind of admires Putin because he's strong and impressive and, and Trump is nothing if not masculinist, um, <laughs> then Putin, he gets criticized for liking Putin and for praising him and for wanting to, you know, realign U.S. policy towards Russia. And he hates being criticized. Can't have that. So he doubles down. And he goes further on down the road, and it's sort of this vicious cycle. Trump says something crazy about Putin. He gets criticized. Trump doubles down. Everybody criticizes the double-down comments. That makes Trump even angrier, and he becomes more and more pro-Putin. And my sense <laughs> in other is words, that's what's going In other words, it's like a child. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's like you can't have this while you want it twice as much. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think it's a P-tape. <laughs> it could be the P-tape. <laughs> I don't know. I go back and forth on whether or not. The P-tape or something like it is real. It is very possible that in that Moscow hotel room, given Trump's uh, history. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. No. I, I, I had forgotten about the P-tape. That's all. That, 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 that. Never forget the P-tape. <laughs> no, no, no. Never <laughs> forget the P-tape. Uh, but the chances that they're going to let Russia back in are non-existent, right? No, of course not. Um, and this is the problem. Right? Trump picks fights over things that are symbolically high profile, but at a policy level are either not going to happen or largely irrelevant to the major and most important yeah. issues of the day, or he creates crises on can his own. We, can we win a trade war? No, nobody wins a trade war. That's not how they work, right? So there are arguments against the current, and for some compelling arguments, against the current way that the U.S. sets up its free trade agreements. But no one who's credible on these issues thinks that just smacking tariffs on another country's goods is the right way to go about fixing the international free trade regime because that just makes things more expensive for everybody and impoverishes everyone. It's and just not beneficial. And because we know, and has already happened, that they will then slap tariffs on our manufacturers, our products, our crops, right? There are something like 10 times as many American jobs that depend on having access to cheap steel as there are that actually work in the steel and aluminum sectors. Uh, and so these these tariffs on their own probably will net cost jobs. 
not even not even factoring in uh, sanctions or trade retaliation from China, uh, from Canada and Mexico and Europe, which you know by the way are combined our biggest trading partners. Right, that's it could be a hefty blow to the U.S. economy, depending on how far this goes, <laughs> and the amount of uncertainty it creates in the market is dangerous. Uh, it's been a while since we've had another recession, so anything that destabilizes the markets and that makes goods more expensive is really risky. I think, given the underlying state of the economy, so what Trump could be doing is unknowingly walking into sparking a recession. Uh, yeah, would you say just blindly storming into it, right? And then, of course, they'll blame that on Obama or something. Who knows? Well, so we go from one foreign policy success to another. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just about 12 hours from now, Singapore time, uh, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un will meet for the first time. Uh, and in terms of how much preparation has gone into the summit. Apparently, a lot of preparation on the North Korean side. Uh, and Donald Trump said, actually, uh, before he uh, left for Quebec, that he has done a lot of preparation on his side as well. In fact, 71 years of preparation. I said I've been preparing all my life. I always believe in preparation. But, of course... <laughs> Of course, the Friday before, he had said. I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's about uh, attitude. It's about uh, willingness to get things done. But I think I've been preparing for the summit for a long time, as has the other side. Yeah. So I don't have to prepare, but I've been preparing all my life, whatever. So in the president's brief defense, that makes sense to me. I see what he's saying. It's just dumb. I mean, he's just walking in. You know, he has not... They say he's had briefings. I'm telling you, he hasn't prepared at all. He like, just feels, and he said in in a minute, in the first minute, he says, he'll be able to, to size him up and know whether this is for real or not, right? That He says, because that's who I am. That's what I do. I just walk into a room and immediately, I'm the great deal maker. I think within the first minute, yeah. I'll know. How? I just, my touch, my feel, that's what, that's what I do. So what's the best thing that could come out of this summit in Singapore? Well, okay, so the best thing uh, that could Let's obviously lower happen. our expectations. Oh, I was going to give you the highest expectation, oh, which okay. is, you know, oh. there is a, like, I like the theor- optimism. Yeah, there's a theoretical possibility that uh, Trump gets North Korea to agree to a substantial reduction in its nuclear arsenal no or even way. getting rid of it. No way. No, I was about to say the probability is about as high as, I don't know, me making the Dallas Cowboys next year, right? Like, it's not—it's yeah. theoretically yeah. possible. It's right. just very right. unlikely. Yeah. Um, and what's more likely, I think, is one of two things. One, uh, they just sort of shake hands and are friendly and they agree to talk more and nothing really comes of it. Yeah. Um, Photo op, photo op. Right, which which is a great outcome for North Korea because they get everything they want. They get the prestige of meeting an American president. They get and they give nothing up. Yeah, exactly. Like great for them. The second possibility. They even got a yeah. plane from China to take them there, right? Because they don't have any planes that can nope. make it there. No, nope. they're own. Nope. Three thousand miles away. The North Korean economy <laughs> is uh, not the greatest. You may have heard, uh, and so they don't really have advanced aircraft. Um, so the second possibility is that. They get really mad at each other, 
and that this first minute goes badly for whatever reason. And who knows when you have two, like, well, one mercurial, confusing, and angry leader, and also Kim Jong Un in the same room. Um, it's just like, it, it's hard to know how that'll go. And so the two men could end up, you know, irritating each other or worse. And then you go back roughly to what we had last year, which I found and most North Korea experts found profoundly scary. The cycle of threats, the brinksmanship by both sides, the willingness to discuss military force. It doesn't mean we go to war right away, but it means the risk of war is back up to what it was last year when it was scarily high. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I saw some clips last night where Donald Trump was going after Little Rocket Man and saying, we're going to destroy your country. Yeah, it was the UN meeting in September of last year. It was his most yeah. angry speech, right? And so that's that's not even, that's what, like eight, nine months ago? Like, that's really not that long in geopolitical time. Right. Um, could this be the beginning of a process that, you know, would maybe eventually lead to some stabilization of the peninsula and some trading agreements between the two countries and maybe even eventually denuclearization, whatever that means. Look, anything is possible on these I mean, things. That would be the best, really, most outcome, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, there's, there's a possibility that, you know, when I say they agree to talk more, they actually do talk more and then maybe come to some kind of partial agreement that sets the stage for a lowering of tensions. Um, so you could get, you know, North Korea agreeing to freeze indefinitely its missile tests and to stop building new bombs. And so then they, their capacity to threaten the American homeland would be relatively limited, which matters both for Americans and South Koreans for reasons we could get into if you want. But it's about this technical thing called decoupling. Um, and you have that, uh, you know, you could get some easing of international sanctions on North Korea. You might get continued North-South negotiations, maybe a reopening of some of their joint industrial capabilities that they've used as uh, confidence building measures in the past. Like there are things that could happen. They're just, you know, they're going to be short of the complete and verifiable disarmament that Trump wants from North Korea. One of the criticisms or maybe concerns, I guess, coming into this summit is that some people feel that the Trump administration has already given too much away. In well, first of all, just by having a meeting before they get anything, any guarantees or or any maybe certainty of of, of success, and they're already floating things out there. Like, I mean, these ideas have come out of our team, right? We'd be willing to open an embassy in Pyongyang. Uh, we'd love to see some North American companies. They're talking about McDonald's, in, in, so they're. They're throwing out all these things that we'd be willing, you know, to offer, right? In exchange for, what have we gotten yet? What, what does North Korea promise yet? Like, nothing, 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 nothing. nothing. Yeah. No. They, so is is Trump proving to be a patsy in these negotiations? That was always my fear, and we'll see how it goes, right? It, you know, that's one of those one of the Trump's favorite lines, but it also is true in this case. Oh, we'll see what happens? Yeah, we'll oh, yeah. see what happens. Because, like, I I can't tell you. It's so... One thing Trump did promise and has delivered on is that he's fairly unpredictable in certain ways. I don't know how he's going to... I, I also think it's, he's obviously shown he's not half as tough as he pretends to be. Oh, he's not. He, no, no, no. He's not. He pretends to be much more of a... He's like a bully. He's a classic bully, right? You, you push back on the bully and they fall down on their own. That, but I think th those are the two things that we know for sure. 
we don't know what to expect, and if you put Trump face-to-face with another world leader, he he backs down, as you mentioned. So it's, it, I mean, it's really funny, because I was mentioning this earlier about the whole Russian agent thing, right? I really don't think Donald Trump is some knowing Russian agent. I think that Russia is playing him, and it seems to be working, because he went out on a very public stage and, and advocated for Russia to come back into the G7, or be allowed back into the G7. So if Kim Jong-un has any political savvy whatsoever, he sees this and he understands that he could probably play this in a way that he would like it to be played. Uh, look, I think there's another part of it that's important, which is that Trump has a real and, and actual admiration for the way dictators operate, right? He oh, sees God. them as well, being- Well, no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, look at the look at the people. I'm, I'll bet you- in his bedroom or in his office, he's got a picture of Duterte, Putin, and Kim Jong-un, right? Yeah. I think like middle school notebook style with little hearts drawn next to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. seriously. The Duterte thing's really weird to me um, because, you know, the guy, he's insulted Trump in the past openly. Oh, yeah. 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 He's called him racist pretty much. Right. And... Trump just talks about how great it is that he kills drug dealers. And it's the, it's the show of strength, really. And, and I think it's hard to not talk about this in Freudian terms, right? Like the male virility of it that makes him respect them and makes him want to be like them because that's the model of leadership. Erdogan from Turkey, you can put him up there too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, totally. We talked about this earlier. If you make a list of the people that he has alienated in the last couple of weeks, if not the last 18 months, and the people that he adores, respects, loves, praises, right? And you've got all of our allies, traditional longest, strongest allies on the list of people he's alienated, and the people he's propped up are Putin and Kim Jong-un and Duterte and Erdogan. The only two interesting exceptions um, are the Israeli prime minister, Oh, and... well, I'd put him on the list. <laughs> on the dictator oh, list. Oh, no, he's on the... <laughs> no, oh, no. He's on the Duterte list every bit as bad. Well, I was going to say it's a pretty bad yeah. sign for Israel that he's yeah, on that okay, list. Right. And the, the second one is the South Korean president. Moon Jae-in has... Yeah, but... Yeah. yeah yes. I, I, he did stab him in the back when he pulled out of the summit, but now he's back in, so... Right. I just okay. Moon has has been willing to work with Trump's craziness in a way that other yeah. large democracies haven't, and it's too early to say he, whether or not this will pay off. He came back over here to sort of put things back together again, put Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's just weird to see a lefty we're, president dealing with Trump like this. We're going to leave uh, Abby Huntsman from Fox News to give us the because uh, uh, I know you've got to run. We'll give us give us the best summary of what we're going to see in. Um, uh, in Singapore, I want you to listen very carefully here as she describes the two world leaders. Talk to us about this moment. I mean, this is history. We are living, regardless of what happens in that meeting between the two dictators, what we are seeing right now, this is history. Uh, what does she say again? What does she say again? In that meeting between the two dictators. <laughs> it took me a second there to get yeah, it. No, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Slid right by. In that meeting between the two dictators. <laughs> 
Isn't that great? Isn't that great? <laughs> I can't believe no. she's We can that. believe something that we heard on Fox News for a change. <laughs> no, I, I had that same reaction when I heard it. I didn't I didn't quite get it at first. I thought, whoa. whoa. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Sometimes the truest things are said. And did she uh, correct herself? She did. Yeah, she came back and I actually uh, uh, apologized several times on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Between the two dictators. Okay. We know we got to run, Zach. Some, thanks so much for coming in. Of right. course. And uh, we will be watching with interest. Uh, again, it's uh, just about now, 9 o'clock p.m. East Coast time. You figure out your time zone. That's when it'll be 9 a.m. Singapore time when the two dictators <laughs> shake, hands, <laughs> shake hands. And within a minute, boom, we'll know. Yeah. All right. Apparently. Great to see you, Zach. Thanks we'll see so what much. happens. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. All right. Great stuff. Uh, and uh, we're still here. We got. Uh, we'll wrap things up here on this uh, Monday edition of the uh, of the of the Bill Press Show. Um, I just wanted you to know tomorrow is a. This is a strange anniversary. Not one to celebrate, but okay. I did see this. Uh, tomorrow at noon tomorrow, will mark the longest serving Republican leader of the United States Senate. Ever, Mitch McConnell's going to break a record. Are you serious? Before it was Robert Dole, but as of noon tomorrow, he will have served for eleven years, five months, and ten days, breaking Bob Dole's record. Holy cow! I didn't know. I didn't realize it had been that long. No, I, I didn't either. I know it's been that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of not just on the wrong side of every issue, but in terms of really inept leadership. I think the only thing you can point to Mitch McConnell having achieved is Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Uh, but uh, it, it's it, it just it doesn't say much to me for the Republican Party nor for the United States Senate when somebody who's as feckless and as inefficient and as ineffective uh, and just basically bad as a leader, uh, it, it's, it's the lowest of, it's the least common denominator, right? that they put in there as the Senate leader, and he will now go down in history uh, until someone else breaks the record as the longest-serving Republican wow. Senate leader in history. Remember that whenever Donald Trump and, and Trumpers and, and other Republicans uh, bemoan career politicians? Mm -hmm. yeah. There is no more uh, career-minded politician than Mitch McConnell. Right. Uh, and you probably heard that uh, Donald Trump uh, in his... Uh, he, he's. Pardon happy these days, right? Pardoning anybody that walks through the door of the White House, basically. Uh, his latest, after pardoning uh, Dinesh D'Souza last week uh, and promising maybe a pardon of um, Robert Goyevich and Martha Stewart, but do we have him uh, talking about the person he's now considering pardoning next? He was not very popular then. He certainly, his memory is very popular now. I'm thinking about Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali, yes. Uh, there's only one problem with that. <laughs> Again, Donald Trump's talking before he knows anything that he's talking about is that uh, the Supreme Court, he was convicted of avoiding the draft back in the Vietnam War days. He didn't want to go. Uh uh, as a religious uh, a religious objection or objector, uh, and the Supreme Court, he was convicted, however, 
uh, Supreme Court overruled his conviction and said that the uh, the the Defense Department or whatever had improperly not had not considered improperly refused to consider his valid religious objection to the war in Vietnam. So um, he was actually pardoned by the Supreme Court. Not only that, President Carter issued um, a blanket pardon for anybody who had been caught up in objecting, refusing to serve in, in Vietnam for, uh, for religious reasons. So in effect, Muhammad Ali's already been pardoned twice before. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Muhammad Ali's attorney... Uh, put out a statement uh, on that exact note. He says, quote, we appreciate President Trump's sentiment, but a pardon is unnecessary. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned the conviction of Muhammad Ali in a unanimous decision in 1971. There is no conviction from which a pardon yes, right. is needed. <laughs> so what but, the hell is he? I mean, it's, it's again, no, it's just celebrity worship. It's celebrity pardons. That's 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 what's going on, right? And it's Joe Arpaio, it's Scooter Libby, it's Dinesh D'Souza, it's uh, now uh, Alice May Johnson or whatever her yeah, name was. Yeah. She certainly deserved a pardon, but he didn't do it for her. He did it for Kim Kardashian. It's the celebrity this, thing. The celebrity thing. The same thing with the boxer Jack Johnson. Uh, that was uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, wasn't him, right? So. As I said, if you want to pardon, the best person to talk to these days is Ted Nugent. <laughs> he'll talk to Donnie, and then he'll get you a pardon. By the way, how much longer until uh, Donald Trump pardons, like, O.J. Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> like, why not? Why not? O.J. No, the Oge. I'll bet you. Yeah. And will. also, I, I mean, it doesn't really need to be said, but Muhammad Ali stood against everything that Donald Trump stands for. Everything. Muhammad Ali, outspoken, mm -hmm. some would call a militant black athlete who... Muslim. What, Muslim, who would have absolutely taken a knee for the national anthem. He did a lot, I mean, in the eyes of some Republicans, would be right. considered worse than that in his day. And, and Donald Trump would give him a part of him? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. And was not welcome with open arms in no. his day because no. of his stance. No, no, not at all. No. no, right. So just, again, Donald Trump just lips flapping without knowing uh, what he's talking about. We talked a little bit earlier when we talked with, uh, with Zach also about um, response to the, um, to the president blowing up uh, the G7, which really turned out to be a giant cluster, you know what, uh, uh, blowing it up before he even got there. And alienating all of our allies, uh, and particularly with Justin Trudeau calling him very dishonest and weak because he refused to bend over for Donald Trump. Um, there was reaction even from some uh, Republicans. Uh, John McCain put out a, uh, a, a tweet, actually, where he, in effect, was telling the world leaders, um, we're sorry but you ought to know that not all Americans agree with this madman who is uh, currently the president of the United States. I, I want to read John McCain's tweet that he yeah. put out uh, <laughs> over the weekend. It says, to our allies, bipartisan majorities of Americans remain pro-free trade, pro-globalization, and supportive of alliances based on 70 years of shared values. Americans stand with you even if our president does not. 
Uh, a thoughtful comment. A, a very thoughtful comment and a nice way of saying, uh, we're sorry we've got this joker right as president, but just just don't don't hold it against all the rest of us. He'll be gone soon. We still love you. We still believe in the same values that for decades uh, have uh, united the United States but, and, 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 our, and, our, and our strongest allies, and we're not abandoning you. So please, please. And, and that's I'm a, glad that's, somebody is saying that. Yeah, and that's a good positive thought. But at the same time, <laughs> that's not how this works. No. Like there are people that works. are saying, oh, Canada and the people that want to have retaliatory uh, tariffs, they should just put tariffs on the Trump organization. I'm sorry. That's not how it works. We elected him. He right. is the face of America, and this is what we say: uh, why elections matter. Yes, and it's hard to sort of thread that needle for and, with another country. And it's also it's it's um, disturbing to me that that voice uh, and the only voice, one of the only voices, so strong, will be come from John McCain. You know, not from anybody who's in power now in the yeah. Republican Party, right? Not from Paul Ryan, yeah. or not from Mitch McConnell. Not from Mitt Romney, who's really turned out to be another, oh, we'll, we'll have to go along with Trump because he's their yeah. person. They've all discaped. They've all, right? John McCain. On the issue of uh, Russia, which is related, of course, because that was the other uh, thing that Donald Trump did to blow up the G7, suggesting that Russia should be invited back because, um, well, just because, you know, he loves Vladimir Putin, or as Zach suggested, because Vladimir, he knows Vladimir Putin has the P-tape and could release it <laughs> at any moment. Uh, Russia, bringing Russia back in, um, Lindsey Graham, not such a good idea. The reason we're having these problems here at home, Brexit, Italy, there's a movement all over the world uh, to look inward, not outward, and I think it's a mistake. But I'm not so sure most Americans agree with John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Here's another McCain, uh, Lindsey Graham clip again where he talks about specifically staying tough on Putin. There's no way I would legitimize him. I would stay tough on Putin. It would be a mistake to try to get him back into the G8. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, with, with a sentiment expressed also by uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein from California. This wasn't just with Trudeau. This is with our best allies seven best allies. And it seems to me not to sign a statement of solidarity, which stands for everything that we stand for, is a big mistake. Big mistake. But that, Trade I mean, wars with our allies. You know, if you were, think about it, right? If you were told, you want to see the eye doctor, and the doctor says, you know, you have a cataract developing, you need, you're going to have to, you, you need cataract surgery. You wouldn't get, like, just somebody you saw on the street. You wouldn't get somebody who had never, was not an eye doctor or was not a surgeon, who had never done cataract surgery before, who didn't know the first thing about cataract surgery, to operate on your eyes. Well, that's what we got in our foreign policy today. We had a guy who has zero experience, not only zero experience, but no willingness to learn, no willingness to listen to or surround himself with other foreign policy advisors, because we've had people with zero foreign policy experience before. Um, and some of them worked out all right, but some didn't. But what they do is they bring people in because they know that they that they need some help, you know, working their way through those important and complex issues. Not with Donald Trump. 
He doesn't need any outside help because he knows it all himself. He's been preparing all his life because he's the great deal maker. So in terms of, uh, on top of the dam all the damage that Donald Trump has already done in the last 18 months on the domestic front, whether it's health care or environmental protection or whatever, um, uh, what's really scary is the damage that uh, he could do and is in the process of doing on the foreign policy front as well. Again, alienating all of our traditional allies. Uh, and we're going to leave you with the um, one of our favorite stories of the day that we are the okay. We lament the what happened in in at, in um, uh, at the G7, but here's one way that America is number one, according to the New York Times yesterday. We now have bragging rights. We have the world's fastest computer. It's called the Summit. It was built for the Oak Ridge National Laboratory down in Tennessee. Another thing where the government is doing something right. They have now uh, have, has, has, has this computer, which is faster than China's computer, which always was the world's fastest. Get this. The summit can do mathematical calculations at the rate of 200 quadrillion per second. I don't even know what that number looks to like. To put it in human terms... A person doing one calcul one calculation a second, if you could do that, would have to live for more than 6.3 billion years <laughs> to match what that machine can do in a second. Oh, that's all? Is this what you call artificial intelligence? <laughs> I think so. I think that's exactly what it is. I'm man. Well... Uh, uh, if I could do one math mathematical calculation in an hour, I think I'd be doing well. So, oh, the world is changing fast. And that's the end of it for today, folks. Monday, have a great one. Come back this and see us again tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool. ...or attending one live... You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.